You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 21, verse 12. We're going to do the second part of the ordinances, and it's going to be a couple of weeks as we're just plowing through God's word, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, precept by precept, or thought by thought. Here at Redemption Church, we love going through books of the Bible, and so uh, with expositional teaching, letting God's word speak to us for whatever we have for this week, and this is why I said I had to look like, okay, where are we at? We're at verse 12. Want to know why? Because last week we stopped at verse 11. So we're picking up our study right in the midst of the book of Exodus. And last week we actually left off talking about slavery, uh, the rights that God would give to these servants that would voluntarily sell themselves to pay off debt. It's this word indentured servitude. And the big idea of that message and in this context as we get into this um, is that God values all people. He wants us to treat all people with dignity, with respect, and to take care of the vulnerable, the marginalized, and the poor. And so you saw that in that culture, people would sell themselves to pay off a debt in the poor, and rather than abusing them, all those rights about uh, servanthood or slavery would be actually for the rights of the servant. And this is why uh, God is giving the nation of Israel a whole bunch of rules or ordinances to actually love people in a very practical way. Because God wants us to love people in a very practical way. And so he's giving out these rules and concerns because our relationship with God should affect our behavior. Now listen to what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17. The Lord spoke this through the prophet. He said, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. We have to learn in our faith to do good to walk in righteous deeds. It's a part of our faith, and it pleases the Lord. He wants us to walk in righteousness. Psalm 33, it talks about how God, how he loves righteousness. It's not that God is just right all the time. He's holy. No, he loves it. He loves righteousness and justice, the Bible says, and the earth is full of his steadfast love. And God wants us walking in this loving way. Love actually has some action. It's going to be doing the right thing at the right time. And so he wants his people to walk in these ways. And that's why in this section of Exodus, God is giving specific application on how to love people through some rules. Now, commentator Tony Murda, he says this, These laws were wonderful gifts because they show people how to live in community, loving their neighbor as themselves. Remember when Jesus said that? We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. God was like, who's my neighbor? And then he goes into the teaching, pretty much everyone's your neighbor, another soul. God values all people. And so this next section, verses 12 through 32, what I think we'll cover tonight, it includes laws of injury, injury to people and to animal, animals. And the underlining principle is this, the punishment should fit the crime. You want justice, you want fairness, you want something right, the punishment should um, fit the crime. Our God is a just God. So, Psalm 89, verse 19. Let me start here. Psalm 89, verse 14, excuse me. Again, righteous and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. 
Righteous and justice are the foundation of your throne. The Lord wants to direct his people here and here with us how he rules and reigns. And the foundation of his rule, his lordship uh, of ruling our lives is for us to walk out in righteousness and justice. And so the first thing that he deals with, the application of the Ten Commandments, is indentured servitude, slavery, because they would go and they would have this dysfunction and not know a good culture, a healthy culture, how to deal with that issue. Then he's now going into personal injury and verses 12 through 17 talk about the death penalty. So let's read verse 12 through 17 and then we'll talk about the death penalty as God wants for us to walk out in righteousness, justice, and love. But he also wants to make sure that things don't happen. So he gives law to prevent these things. Verse 12 through 17. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hands, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willingly attacks one another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. And so you see these verses, there's action and then there's a consequence. And that consequence is the death penalty or what the text says, shall be put to death. Uh, in verse 12, whoever strikes a man so that he dies, shall be put to death. This law was given to show us the principle of this. People matter to God. People matter to God. He values human life as all people bear his image, and no one has the right to take someone's life except him. He's numbered our days. And in fact, God actually established this principle before this law was ever given. If you look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, we have it on the screen here. It says, whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Now concerning the value of human life, one commentator said the death penalty was invoked not of indifference for human life, but rather because each human life is of tremendous value. This is what this verse says in Genesis 9-6. A life for a life does not express vengefulness, but rather the idea that the only uh, payment that could be made for taking human life is a life in and of itself. And so having this law would actually prevent crime or cure, killing, murder, because you wouldn't want to die. Self-preservation. You wouldn't want to face the, the severe consequence of taking another soul or another life because that means your life would be paid for. So it was actually a serious punishment for a serious crime. And you couldn't uh, be punished based on a single witness. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6 and 7. There had to be multiple witnesses. There had to be proof and evidence. But verse 13, it tells us that intent matters. Intent. So verse 13 says, but if he did not lie to wait for him, premeditated, planning it out, but God let him fall into his hands, 
Then I will appoint for you a place to which you may flee. This is where the idea of degrees of murder come from, like first-degree murder, second-degree murder, manslaughter. Uh, these, there's accredited here in this verse for accidental deaths. Uh, this is why it says, uh, for he did not uh, lie to wait for him, but God let him fall into his hands. That if an accident does happen and God lets the man fall or die, then there, there will actually be a, a different punishment for that. Now, this is things like back then, there would be like a wagon, and a wagon would run over a person. In our case, like manslaughter would be like if you get in a car wreck and you kill someone. You don't premeditate doing that. You're not lying around saying, I'm going to kill someone today. But there is a concept. There's something does happen, right? Change does happen. Or another maybe example of this um, is maybe someone would hit someone accidentally with a tool or even uh, be killed in battle or you kill an ally in battle. There were all these different rules that it doesn't go into this in this verse, but Levitical law gives you a little bit more examples. And it acknowledges that accidents do happen and God let him fall into his hands. So God actually set up a law in Numbers chapter 35, 9 through 15, and he would give cities of refuge. Cities of refuge. Uh, these cities were to prevent, uh, to protect the offender from the avenger. Imagine if your brother died, and accident or not, you found out someone killed him. You may want to avenge that man. You may want to kill that person. And there's actually cities of refuge where there can be a trial, there can be proof, there can be evidence. And that person, if he killed someone by accident, would be able to go to those cities and not have the punishment of his own life being taken. But yet, the consequences were still real because that person that accidentally killed someone would still have to leave and go. There would still be a, a, a price to pay. This is why verse 14, it makes it clear, though, that you couldn't uh, hide behind religion or God's forgiveness. So there was different degrees of accidental death, but verse 14 talks about, okay, there's premeditated and there's unmeditated. Is that, that, that's the right word? Unmeditated? Eh, I don't know. I don't know. Sounds sketchy. You plan it, you don't plan it. Involuntary. Thank you, good sir. Okay? Uh, but here's the deal. Verse 14 says that there is forgiveness in God, but there's still consequences for our sins. Because what would happen in the culture is people would say, okay, there's, it was an accident or it was not. I'm going to kill someone, but then I'm going to go just to God and get forgiveness because he's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He'll forgive me. And God is saying, no, you're not going to behind, you're not gonna hide behind religion or my forgiveness. Uh, you couldn't just, these cities of refuge just weren't like God just saying, well, eh, it's, it's not that big of a deal. No, it was a big deal. And there was to be uh, city officials and just judges to facilitate that and make sure everything was going to good. And what would happen is someone would kill someone out of vengeance or premeditated or whatever, and they would go to religious ceremony or an altar, and they would try to find refuge in that. Like someone going to church after they just wronged someone. Jesus would be like, well, before you actually worship me, you should go fix that wrong. And don't take communion. And like, you, there's actually price for your sin. And so people would go to an altar or a holy place and say, no, 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 it's holy. You can't kill me here. This is my refuge. God forgives. He loves. And so God wanted us to know that although there's forgiveness for our sin, there's also real consequences. 
Because in these societies at the time, people would go and run to an altar, a holy place, and try to get protection. And God wants us to know, no, you reap what you sow. There is a consequence if you take a life. Yes, there is forgiveness, but there's always consequences for our sins. And this is important for us to understand, especially I think when you think about the justice of God and the love of God and grace and mercy. Because although God does forgive our sin, there are always real consequences that someone must pay for our sin. We will pay for the price of our sin. If we're gossiping and just a jerk, we're not going to have good friends. People aren't going to be around us. If you're unkind, that's, God is going to give some natural repercussions to that, and people aren't going to want to be around you. There are consequences for our sins, and this is why when it comes to behavior, our rules talking about behavior, we should take heed and wisdom and apply God's word to our heart so that way we reap the benefits as well. Because you reap what you sow. And so we shouldn't just think that we can do whatever we want because there's grace. Grace isn't cheap. It always costs something. And our forgiveness for Christians, it costs Jesus' blood. It costs his life. When he died on the cross, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In fact, Paul in the New Testament would tell us as believers, followers of Jesus in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 2, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? God's grace and forgiveness should change our behavior and cause us to want to live in righteousness. And so we, this is verses saying, hey, you just can't just go and kill someone and then go to an altar or a holy place and just think you're good. No, no, no. There's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences for your sins. Verse 15 shows us how wicked our hearts can actually be when it comes to dealing with the law and walking that out. Because in verse 15, it says something interesting. It says, whoever strikes his father and mother shall be put to death. Now, this isn't just like a backhand strike. This is the same strike that talks about in verse 12, whoever strikes a man that he would die. This is saying that you can be so evil in your heart the person that loved you, gave you life, protected you, you can actually have the capacity and free will to kill them, to strike them down, your own mother and father. And you can't have protection just because you were blood. No, no, your blood is going to be taken as well. Your life for a life. And so I think sometimes we can underestimate sin and the capacity that we have. Like we're learning in community groups how we oftentimes minimize sin. And we excuse sin. And we say, well, it's not that bad. Listen, not only verse 15, but verse 17 shows us the incredible power and the horrificness of sin. Because in verse 17, it talks about how we, uh, you can curse your parents. And again, this isn't like, oh, I just said a bad word to my parents. This is, I'm going to give you a death threat and curse you and now strike you. That is in man's heart because of sin. That was humans can actually curse their parents, uh, the one that gave them life, the one that sacrificed. This is the idea of giving death threats, and this is what's in the heart of man. In Jeremiah chapter 17, we just looked at this as a community in community groups, but I want to read it again because I thought it applied to this so well. Because often, again, we, we think these rules are like, well, you know, I've never murdered. This doesn't really apply to me. But then Jesus goes and yeah, but what's in your heart? Because if you have anger... That actually leads to these things. And we all struggle with certain aspects of this law because it shows us 
our incapacity of being righteous. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says, where God says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Is that what you view your heart as? Without the Lord, without him renewing it, washing it, making it cleanse, do you realize that your nature is desperately sick? He says, who could understand it? Don't follow your heart. You can actually be misled. Jesus, or the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Sin isn't just something that we do, but it is actually a predeposition or a state of where we are in, what we are at. Our actual nature rebels against God, and it manifests in all different ways. And that's what these laws are showing you, that they could manifest through slavery, taking advantage of the poor, killing. Uh, they can do all sorts of different things uh, in your heart to lead forth this sin nature. And so the Bible says that we all have a rebellious sin nature in us. We're desperately sick. sick, And in fact, this is why, again, the law was given to us. Remember that. Remember when we started even the Ten Commandments. Why is the law given to us? Well, it's to show us what's in our heart. James chapter 1 says it's like a mirror. And it shows us our imperfections, our flaws. And so we can never be righteous by just saying, I'm going to do a whole bunch of rules. The point of the law was to point us and show us that we need a Savior, that we fall short of God's glory. David said in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Sin is in our nature, and it's passed down from our first parent, Adam. Romans 5.12 says, fact, Ephesians 2, 3 says that we were by nature deserving God's wrath because the price of sin is death. And I know that when we look at these laws and we think about some of this stuff that's in here, we're like, hold on. I don't think anyone here has murdered anyone yet. Okay. Sometimes I know some parents, we feel like we want to murder somebody, but we, no one's murdered here, anyone here yet. But James 2, 10 tells us this. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. This is how deceitful our heart is, where we actually make us like, well, that's not that bad. Well, I do this, but I don't do that. And James actually says, no, the word of God is like a mirror. It shows you who you are, and actually it points you that you are guilty and you need a Savior and you cannot justify yourself. We may not be murderers of our parents or say death threats to people but we all manifest wickedness and sinful uh, actions in our heart differently and we're all guilty of it and god is the ultimate righteous judge that we will have to face for all of our actions in rebellion this is why jesus coming is so significant as our savior because he saves us from the consequences of our sin what we reap what we sow man Jesus gives us something different. He gives us mercy. He's able to save us from our sinful nature. And this is why Christianity is not behavior modification, like do a whole bunch of rules and get just better and just make the scales like even. No, you are dead in your trespasses, the Bible says, and you need God to wash you and give you a new heart. You need him to forgive your sin and blood must be shed for your sin. But Jesus said, I shed that blood for you. I paid that debt you can never pay. Remember last week we talked about an indentured servitude, someone that actually would submit to a good godly master. And we know Jesus is that servant. 
He's the ultimate servant that, that submitted to the Father to pay a debt that wasn't even his. He actually came and because of God, he loved the world. He sent his only son that whoever will believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or Colossians chapter 2 says it this way, verse 13 and 14. And you, church, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that should that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside by nailing it to the cross. You were forgiven not because you ever obeyed any rules. That's what the law is not about. The reason why you were forgiven and your record has been made clean because Jesus shed his blood and you were covered in his blood and there was consequences for your sin. And on the cross, the wrath of God was poured upon Jesus. But he who became sin for us he was perfect, and he gave us his righteousness. He did this out of love. The Bible says the way that we conquer sin is not by minimizing it or ignoring it, but by bringing our sin to God in humility and asking for mercy. Right? He opposes the proud. So we're going to have to face God in our sin and consequences because he opposes the proud. That's what sin is. It's a rebellion against God. But James, again, 4, 6, but he gives grace to the humble. So do you want grace or do you want God to oppose you? These are questions that we have to ask ourselves when we think about the, the severity of sin. Do you know that forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus? Are you daily thanking him for that sacrifice? Have you come to him in confession? Jesus, he said he's the only way, the only truth, and the only life to get to the Father. So don't try to do better and become righteous in your own efforts, daily go to God. And the Bible says if you aren't going to Jesus, then people are still in their sin. And this is why it's so significant to point people to Jesus and not rules. Relationship and not religion. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Again, nothing to do about rules. Believe, faith, trust. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is how crazy sin is and deceives us. God, who is reality and is truth, saw the situation and our behavior and our brokenness, and rather than just giving up and letting us just murder one another and just do all this crazy stuff with one another and live in brokenness, he values human life so much he came to redeem us and to give us new life, a new humanity, a royal priesthood, Peter says, that he would actually love us enough to redeem us and make souls that are dead become alive in him. It's so significant and so important. Now, verse 16 says this, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Again, we're still talking about death. Why? Because it's talking about slavery. Again, this has to do with the rights of people, for all people, because God loves all people. And this verse actually condemns slavery as we more commonly know it in America, where one person or people group still another person or people group, they kidnap them, take them, and they sell them into slavery. And this is why we made such a, 
a contrast between, between indentured servitude and the type of slavery that we know. This verse actually condemns the slavery that our nation was brought by bringing people over and snatching them and stealing them and having them work and separating the family, whereas this indentured servitude actually cared for the servants, actually brought families together, and it wasn't something that we are sort of familiar with. And this is why understanding the context of Scripture is so important and reading all of these things. Because even last week, we didn't even look at this verse. But if we look at this verse and we read the whole chapter in the context, and if you get this verse to match that verse and this verse, it will help you bring more context to it. That's why I'm always giving you cross-references. I'm saying something, and I'm be like, yes, and this verse says this, and that verse says this, and that verse says this, to back that idea up. And we have to study our Bibles like that as well. Because many people in this the law section have taken parts of this law out of context, out of the context of the book, and then out of the context of the entire Bible. But before we move on, thinking about this slavery, I just think about justice and righteousness in our day. Let's not just think slavery is an ancient concept. You know those barbarians? Like back then, they used to kill people. They don't kill people now. Well, if you live in Florida, you know people get killed all the time. People are crazy and nuts. But slavery, I mean, that was back then. We don't, we don't have slavery now. Actually, we do. In fact, kidnapping people and trafficking humans as slaves is the second largest, fastest growing international crime today. There are more slaves right now in the world than there was when the United States started. If you go to the International Justice Mission, uh, IJM.org, it can give you a lot of facts, but it says that nearly 2 million children are exploited in commercial sex industry through slave trade. It still happens. The heart, the sin nature that we're talking about, it's still today. Things, wickedness, evil still happens today. And 16 reminds us that God is not okay with this. So you know what? If he's not okay with injustice, with cruelty, with sin, with snatching people and forcing them to do certain labor and things... He doesn't want us, us as his people to be okay with it either. Listen to Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. It says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Our faith demands that we have action and be agents of righteousness in this world to represent the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God, what is Psalm 89, was built on righteousness and justice, his steadfast love. And he wants us to be agents of that today. So we shouldn't just blow off like, well, I'm not doing it. No, we need to open up our mouths and help fight these injustices. Titus chapter 3, verse 14, it says, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Devotion. You know what devotion is? It's a passion. It's a drawing. It's a proactive thing. You may say, well, where do I start? Well, what needs do you see in this world? This is why there are different ministries. And so, so many ministries and godly ministries in this world have been started by Christians like hospitals, orphanages, um, to fight slave trade. Um, uh, Christine Kane, Acts 24, I think, uh, our A, A24, uh, she has a great organization for slave trade. Like there's so many different ministries to help people in need. And that is a good godly thing because this shows the heart of God. And we should have that same heart. 
Because when we get born again, God places his spirit inside of us. And as we grow in holiness and righteousness, we should want more justice in the world. We should work towards those things. And we should devote ourselves to works. We're not saved by works, but we're saved for works. So through these laws, God is teaching us the seriousness of sin, the way to salvation in him. It's not our own efforts, but actually how we should live out our faith in this world. Again, Psalm 25, verse 8 and 9 says this, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his ways. I think when it comes to social justice and acts of righteousness, most people don't know where to start because it's just overwhelming. This verse can say, if you're humble, God will lead you. Start asking him. God, open my eyes just to the world around me. Where can I start? Who can I pray for? What are the needs around me? And you will start seeing the great vastness of the brokenness of this world and sin and how God wants to place us to be salt and light. And so there's not just godly ways to deal with death, but also injuries. And that's what verses 18 through 32 deal with. Now, quickly, we'll go over these type of injuries. There is the life-threatening injuries, in verses 18 through 21, let's read that together. When, a man, when men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone, that would be a, uh, a weapon, or with his fist, and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear, only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed." Verse 20, when a man strikes his slave or male or female with a rod or the slave die, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. Meaning a slave has rights because it's talking about that indentured servitude, that person. You can't just mis take advantage and treat people the way you, want, uh, way you want and evil. Verse 21, but if the slave survives a day or two, he, is, he shall not be avenged for the slave is his money. Let's walk through these verses because sadly men have been fighting with one another since sin entered the world. Even before these laws were written and still after these laws were written. This has brought great pain and injuries to our society. Couldn't you agree? This is why the Bible says do not sin in your anger. There's not only death, but then there's just personal quarrels and brawling. And verse 18 and 19, an example of a situation of a brawl. Uh, if a man would strike another man and he doesn't die he would actually be responsible to pay for that man's injury. So if he misses work, then you have to pay for that man what he would have made for work. Just that alone should prevent some brawling because it actually, again, gives responsibility to that action. And so if the injured person lost work, then the man that struck him would be responsible. But verse 20 through 21, it, takes, it talks about the same issue, but now with the master and, its, and his slave or servant. The master couldn't just beat or kill a servant without consequences as well. If the servant would die, they would have to pay a price and they would be avenged. Okay? And if the servant was injured, it would cost the master money. Because again, with an individual, uh, with an indentured servant, uh, they would be paying off debt and basically saying, if you injure your servant and they lose a week's worth, and that's on you because you have to pay that. So you would be best to not leave them alone, to let them work, and to, to forgive and not fight and not brawl. 
So if they were injured because of the master hit them, they would lose the work and they would lose payment and that would be their price. There was price for brawling, for arguing, for fighting and life-threatening injuries. And again, this was to prevent. When you come with law, it's almost like it's a suppressiveness of evil. Laws are good, but they don't change. You can have a law and it's great, but the reality is only God changes the heart. Verse 22 through 27, they deal with permanent injuries. Permanent injuries. So that's just one situation. Here's another situation where it's not just a temporal thing, but what happens if some, there's dispution or there's a, a, a brawl and sin and argument and something terrible happens? When men strike together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, and the one who hit her, surely he is fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him. He shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, womb for womb, and stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eyes of his slave and male or female and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. Notice how there's these rules for the, the uh, people in the society that would be free and the same thing and same equality for the slave. It's actually giving rights and humanity for the slave. So it's defining because most people would argue, well, no, I own them. They're property. They're this and that. And God's like, no, no, no. They have same human rights. We, we want to care for them too. Don't take advantage of those that are poor and marginalized and just do whatever you want because you have money. And oftentimes in society, even when it came to murder, people would actually be able to pay off uh, crimes for uh, murder, for injustice, for beating. Not like, it's, uh, not like it's uncommon today. If you have a lot of money and good lawyers, you can get away with a lot of stuff and it's not really just, is it? But that's actually what it's saying. It's saying, no, you, know, you, can't, you can't just pay off money if it's a foot for a foot, if it's an eye for an eye. There are serious consequences. So oftentimes when we brawl, we give in to sin, and it doesn't just affect us or the two parties that are fighting. Now it says it affects the family, well, the woman there. And what if the woman's pregnant? Here in these verses, it deals with harming the family physical because of the man's actions or sin. And oftentimes... The sin of the father can not only harm a family physically, but also emotionally, can it? God is not only concerned with the people that are dealing with the sin, but those that they sinned against. Because what happens if a bystander gets harmed, like a wife or like a child? Well, this is saying there are still consequences. This should remind us that sin is never just an isolated incident for us. Your sin is always going to affect other people. You live in community. You're not in a vacuum. Uh, if I have an affair, it's going to not only affect this ministry, but also my family, my children, people that know me, my reputation, all this different. It's not like, oh, I could just do this and, and God will forgive me and it's just my thing and him and whatever. No, sin is damaging. And too often we think that our sin is just a secret sin and there's no consequences for our actions. But God knows the heart and he reveals things, he says, out in the open. And he will have to pay a price. And not only will we have to pay a price for our sin, but others as well. And this is why this law is affecting the mom and the child. 
Now notice this law considered both the mother and the child. This is saying that the fetus was treated as a person in this text. This is just one of the many verses that talks about how there is life in the womb and one of the, one of the many reasons why Christians oppose abortion. Like Psalm 139, Luke chapter 1. We've talked about this as we covered through the Ten Commandments. But it gives rights to not only the mother, but the mother with child and the baby in her. That should tell us something. So in these verses is where we get the idea, where this verse comes from, where Jesus said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This has to deal with equal punishment for the crime. Uh, This wasn't a literal thing. If you injured an eye, you wouldn't actually get your eye gouged out. But it was the consequence or the idea of if you injured an eye because of someone's sin, they would have to pay you for the cost of that eye or that tooth or that hand. So if they injured you and you broke your hand and you were a craftsman, you could never work again, then that would cost them their hand and that would mean they would have to pay you that wage for the rest of their life. Again, pretty hard consequences, but it would actually lead to preventing you to walk in anger and sin in your anger. The punishment should match the crime is what it's saying. The goal was for justice to be served and these rights included uh, to not only citizens but also indentured servants as a master couldn't beat their slave or mistreat him and if they did, they would be immediately set free. So again, you're seeing a different whole picture of when the Bible says slave here different than what we think in America because we know that this country was built on many slaves that were beat and just taken and snatched away. And this is not the type of slavery that God actually condones. He forbids it. He says not only will you have to pay them and they will have equal quality for permanent injury, but if you even beat your servant, then they're free and their whole debt is paid. Done. Because they have rights. Because God cares about them. Lastly, in verse 28 through 32, you guys are doing great just walking through this scripture. Uh, Injuries associated with animals. Injuries associated with animals. Verse 28 through 32. And when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, they decide they want a ransom instead, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to the same rule. Again, children have rights as well. I know sometimes they don't feel that way because they're being forced to go to school, but God cares about you, okay? If the ox gores a slave, a male or a female, so now it's not just slave, but it's male or female. Again, in the society, women were also abused, taken advantage of, didn't have rights. We know in our country it took a lot for even a woman to vote for a long time. Not so in the book of Exodus, because if it's either a male or a female, it says, the owner shall give their master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. Uh, One commentator said this, because virtually everyone farmed in the ancient world, laws had to be put in place regarding animals. And so this context and this law, injuries associated with animals, if you had an ox and that ox killed a man, 
the ox was to be killed. Why? Once again, because we're talking about the rights of humans and God valuing human life. But if that owner knew that that uh, ox was violent and didn't do anything about it because the owner cared more about money than about the injuries of people, and that ox would kill someone, the owner was responsible as well. Because the owner knew uh, what was right and didn't know and didn't do it. He valued money or he valued the animal and what the animal could bring, produce, more than human life. We need these type of verses in our day because sadly, we have actual laws in our government, in our U.S.'s, like I'm thinking of Washington State even years ago where people are going and uh, going to jail um, because they, they don't value human life, but they value animal life over humans. Like craziness, like where if you kill a possum and it's pregnant, you're going to go to jail. But they actually will just, they buy a whole bunch of backstock of abortion pills so you can take. It's just nuts what people think is good and what is evil and what happens. And God actually gives us some order here. And he says, listen, human beings are valuable in my eyes. We are greater than animals. And you have to say that. And I know that we all love animals, but human beings are greater than them. And there's a reason why. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 through 28. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living creature that moves from the earth. Human beings and animals are not equal. And this does not mean that we should uh, be cruel to animals because Proverbs 27 verse 23 talks about that. Proverbs 12 verse 10 talks about that. But it does mean this. It is not cruel to eat animals. We have dominion over them. They provide substance for us. And listen, why would we even say that? Because human and animals aren't equal and many people put Mother Earth and Mother Nature as their God when God says, no, humans are made in the image of God and there is an order of this. But notice one more thing about this law. The owner that owned the ox valued money or an animal over life and God said, that's not okay. But he also knew if that ox was violent and didn't do anything about it, he was responsible. Meaning this, it was the sin of omission. It was the sin of omission. Now, you may often more know the sin of commission or transgression where you see something or a line and you cross it. Or you know what's wrong and you do that. But did you know that the Bible actually teaches that there's are, there are sins of omission? Meaning you know what's right and you don't do it. Again, don't, why, don't know why, but all my cross-references are coming from James. James chapter 4, verse 17. It's, it's one of those books where faith has works. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, whoever, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There are so many things that God has put on our hearts and tells us to walk in righteousness and do this and do that. And the Bible says if you omit 
and don't do that and walk in obedience is actually a sin as well. Where we always think it's the sin of commission, killing and sin your anger. But what if God says, just go and love that person and you don't? It's a good thing. It's a right thing and you don't do it. And so ultimately, these laws concerning murder and injuries, well, they remind us once again that there is a price for sin. And that's really the depth of it. Leviticus, Exodus, this law section, it shows you how holy and right God is. But these laws weren't just for the Israelites. They're for us today to remind us that we all need uh, Jesus, that he paid a price for our sin. And God wants us to remember the seriousness of our sin. You know, 1 John 2, 2 says that Jesus died for all sin for everyone in the world. And we can actually be forgiven for our sin because of his perfect atonement and substitute. And so as we close and as we think about sin and just these laws and breaking it and just all these different things, let us be thankful and remember Jesus. Because oftentimes when it comes to sin and when it comes to law, we get so condemned because we have a to-do list and we try to work things out on a scale. And the Bible says it has nothing to do with that. There is no condemnation in Jesus. This is supposed to point us to our deceitfulness of our heart and our sin that we can actually manifest. It may not look like murder, but it looks like other things. It may not look like cursing our parents, but it may be like cursing our enemies. There are so many different things that we try to hide or try to put down and say, it's not that bad. We're Christians. We walk in reality and truth. We need to just say sin is awful. And God, it's not his best plan for our lives. And so Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 24. We don't have it on the screen, but I want to read it for us as we think about communion and close. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed. There's always a price for our sin. We see a lot of this was death because of what's in man's heart and they would manifest that. And that still is true today. For the wages of sin is death, but the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we should not come to church thinking, oh man, I gotta make things right and God mad at me or this or that. We should come to church saying, God, I need you to forgive me of my sin. The only way I can, can reconcile this, Jesus, is what you did on the cross and how you bore my sin and that we might have righteousness. So that's what he tells us to do when, he, when we gather together to take communion, to remember and to be thankful that Jesus takes away sin, that we don't have to live by the law, but the law of the Spirit, the ways of the Spirit that point us to Christ. And we should continually go to him in this life because these rules are about the everyday stuff of life. But these even rules about the everyday stuff of life are pointing to us and showing us we cannot live in our own righteousness, in our own holiness. We need Jesus in our everyday stuff of life because you're going to blow it and I'm going to blow it. But God wants to give us grace and humility because he paid a debt that we could not pay. And so we'll take communion together as Laura comes up and sings a song and just pray and thank God for his grace. God, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your word. Lord, even as we just walk through more ordinances, rules. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we can take these rules and these failures and these things that we look at and fell at, Lord, if we're honest in our heart, to you uh, and ask for forgiveness. And so, Lord, you say as we come and gather to be thankful of people of thanks. And we uh, want to just thank you now, Lord, for shedding your blood for us, for dying for us, for by your stripes we are healed. But we have to, in humility, come to you and ask for forgiveness. And so I pray, Lord, that we would confess our sins 
knowing you're faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and we can have righteousness in you. And so we put our hope in you, not in our own actions, not in our own ability, not in our religious uh, services and our offerings, in, in our own holiness, Lord. We put our faith in you and we build our lives upon you. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes this week as we lean towards you, knowing that we to be devoted to good works and not to be saved by the works, but to be devoted to them. Holy Spirit, would you uh, empower us to see and fill our hearts with compassion for the lost, for the poor, for the marginalized, for the brokenness that sin does uh, just reap all over this world. God, would you use us for your glory. May we be a living sacrifice to you, dying to ourselves and picking up our cross and serving you, God. May we be uh, people that um, bless your throne of righteousness and judgment. And may you, Lord, you just show us uh, the way as we continue to look to you in our everyday uh, reality in this broken world. And so we love you, Lord. Prepare our hearts for communion. Thank you, God, so much that we come. We can come to you. We can ask for forgiveness and find strength in you. And we do that now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter what you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.